Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Roblar. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Hest. And another week down, another week down, another week down, another week down. Four in a row now for Inter-Miami as the losing streak continues, this time on the road to TQL Stadium, FC Cincinnati, the latest opponent to best the Herons, this time in a 1-0 defeat. Again, a frustrating end of the first half goal and Inter-Miami not really able to get anything going. The loss drops them all the way down the table and outside of the newly revamped nine-team playoffs that are in store for MLS this season. And guys, while it is still early, this was that you know, beginning of the year run of form of losses that you did not want to see. Last year, you know, talked about the early season losses and how that wound up hurting them when it came time for for getting the positioning in the playoffs that they wanted. Well, after a very promising start, two 2-0 wins over Montreal and Philadelphia, about a month later, it doesn't look that good. Four losses in a row, drops them really down the pack. Now eight clear is FC Cincinnati, who are currently tops in the Eastern Conference. And let's just start on offense because that, I think, is has been the bugaboo, if you will, uh, especially on the road. We've talked about this. Still no goals uh, in three matches on the road this season. Only three shots on target, uh, none of which really looked to uh, challenge uh, Celitano for, for uh, an equalizer. Um, you didn't really see – maybe there was that Joseph uh, run in like the 70th minute where he shot with his left. That probably the best chance of the game, but another one of those games where Inter Miami just, you know, they have a lot of possession, and Alex, they just don't want to do anything with it. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because uh, there's quality in the squad, you know, like for crying out loud, Joseph Martinez is there, and you know he can score, and I don't think it's, I don't think Joseph's in bad form. We, I mean, we saw him score with Venezuela, so it's just. He's not getting enough touches in the final third, and and it's 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 unfortunate because you know I, I don't know it's just com- it's night and day compared to the first two games of the season to now, and the only uh, running theme between those two games was that Gregory was there, and I know Phil Neville did say earlier that you know they didn't lose because of Gregory. Um, I'm gonna push back and say yes, you know once they they don't have that midfield anchor now, and now he's a uh, uh, you know just kind of. Uh, taping the, the the cracks right now and and it, it, it shows you know John Mata is playing a role that does not really suit him and now you know the rest of the team kind of their form follows suit so it's it's just unfortunate all around and 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 you know the loss it it, it you know Miami weren't the better team uh, you know Neville said after the post game he, he said that he thought Miami were the better team more dominant which is I mean, if you go by possession stats, sure, but they only had three shots on target. I wouldn't call that a dominant performance. And so, yeah, it just it did feel like a bit of an excuse, but, you know, I don't know what they're going to do to to fix this. You know, they're playing FC Dallas up next, who's you know, a really good, well-rounded team. And, you know, it's a home game, so they have a chance to, to, to get, get a win back, stop the bleeding. But, you know, their schedule does not get any easier. You know, FC Dallas is, is next, and they have – the Dynamo, which is a Dynamo away, which is a, I don't know if that's a winnable game because, you know, Miami's poor on the road. Then you have Columbus and then at, um, yeah, Columbus, then Atlanta, New England, Nashville, Orlando, which is a pretty brutal stretch considering, you know, Columbus are, are putting five on the other teams and Atlanta as well and New England. They're what, a third in, 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 in the East right now. So 
tough schedule ahead for Miami uh, uh, going forward. And, you know, the offensively, offensively, the way they play, you know, one goal per match, it, you know, it's just not, it's not good enough simply. Yeah. I mean, I agree with a ton of it. And I, I also really want to point out these like staggering numbers in terms of their offensive output. Um, after controlling over 60% possession, they couldn't even get over one expected goal. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with their inability to work the ball into the box. Joseph, I mean, has not shot the ball with his foot inside of the opposition's box more than like two or three times all year. And we're five games in, six games in now, and it's six games in. And, you know, there, there's just been so many failed opportunities in which they can build up possession, they can get in and around the area, but it's just coming down to the inability to work the ball into the box and get those clear-cut chances. We've been screaming for it in the beginning of the year. We were worried about the way they were scoring goals after their two-game win streak to start the year, and now it comes back to this where they they aren't able to they aren't able to create anything. Um, and I, I think the best chance of the night probably came from uh, Sergei Kristoff off a corner. I think it was a headed chance like late on in the game. Uh, I think that was probably the closest probably should have been on target. If I remember correctly, it was very, very wide open to where he could have put it on, but they really struggled. And honestly, FC Cincinnati struggled offensively too. They weren't working the ball into the box very well until late on either. And that, that means that Miami had a real chance to take advantage of this game. Maybe if the penalty had gone their way, it shouldn't have. But maybe if it did, it would have changed things. Goals obviously change games. And after the lengthy delay, that's when FC Cincinnati go ahead and get a goal from a corner kick just, you know, due to pretty much lousy. I don't even know if it was zonal marking or man marking. It just it didn't look as organized as it should have been. And it just seemed to be late on in the first half and they were ready to get into halftime and, and they lost their heads. And I mean, that's kind of what it all comes down to. And like I said, Cincinnati were not necessarily great i do think they were better than inter miami on the night at the same time there were absolutely points for the taking miami failed on a really good opportunity to steal points away from home against the top team in the east right now inter miami's 13th in the eastern conference and expected goals over six games uh at, at 5.9 now that's an xg of 5.9 they have six goals on the year so uh, when we were talking about the wonder goals that happened towards the beginning of the year that has slowed to a point where you, and this is why I oftentimes say don't take XG in one game sample size a lot because you see it resort back to the mean and their XG is right at one goal a game uh, if you take it in the totality of the season. Now, when goals happen is obviously key. You can score five in one game and none in another and your average goals per game is two and a half. But if you didn't score in that game, you're not going to come away with three points. So uh, that removes the... I guess, timing out of things. But I wonder from a goal creation aspect, because Austin, you were talking about how, you know, the, 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 the opportunities just don't seem to be there. The passing, the possession is fine. And, and Alex, I, I loved your analysis there of, of the, that, that final third pass is getting through. Why is there not any finishing on the other aspect? And I'm not even talking about finishing in terms of, you know, wonder goals like, you know, that, that we saw, um, you know, from from uh, Coco earlier in the year, or Robert Taylor earlier in the year. I'm talking about just a, testing a keeper a handful of times in a match and, and forcing uh, like consistent offense that, that just does not seem to be there, that these chances, the you have the ball, 
you're being able to make because their passing numbers are good. Their progressive passing numbers are in the top 10 in MLS. Their goal creating action, they're right around middle of the pack. So they're they're creating these, and yet it's not developing or manifesting itself into chances or opportunities. It's it's really bizarre because on paper you'd say, what's missing in that last touch, Alex? Yeah, and I I think people are so quick to blame you know just the center forward for maybe not scoring or maybe not getting you know shoot, you know um, finishing their chances when they get one, but you know in a regular system or a good system, most center forwards have uh, three or four chances, maybe even more to get one on target. But Joseph, you know, I'm looking at the stats here, you know, I have to rub my eyes a little. I think he's only had three shots on goal for the entire season. And I think those three probably came within these last past couple of games with NYCFC and, and, and Cincinnati. So it's just not good enough. And I, I don't know, you know, maybe – Maybe a number ten can help solve it, but but still, I think I think Neville's come coming from like the school of old school coaching in the '90s, where he wants his players to have kind of creative freedom in the final third. But I don't think that works out with the a, a team like Miami, where they have where they have new attackers like Joseph Stefanelli, you know, Pizarro back from loan. I think you know the freedom doesn't work when these players just don't know each other quite yet, and I think he needs to start coaching some, you know, positional play and, and try to get them to, to, to build up their passing patterns in the final third, not so much the middle third of the field, build up those passing patterns so they can get, you know, just kind of drill it into them so they know, you know, the fullback, you know, let's say the fullback overlaps, you know, you, you, you know, the typical triangulation of, of, of passing. I don't think Miami does that very well in the final third, you know, around the rest of the field, they do it fine, but, I think Neville just, you know, he wants his creative players to create, but right now it's it's not working. And sometimes I think you need to be a little bit more strict in the final third with these, uh, with Inter Miami at the moment, because right now it's just crossing into a, a five foot nine Joseph Martinez or a, a five foot uh, seven uh, Nico, Nico Stefanelli. And, you know, he, they're not going to win headers like that. I know they have really decent jumping ability, but you want low in swing crosses or play, play them with their ball to feet. And rare, very rarely have we seen that with, with uh, Inter Miami uh, uh, this season, and so it's a concern. And I know there were some different build-up styles. You know, they they went with a kind of a back three where you had them tucked in, and there was two central midfielders. But still, it, it, they didn't they didn't take advantage of the numbers they had, and it just they had majority of the possession. But you know, Cincinnati they felt they looked comfortable defending. You know, the, I don't think they were they thought Miami would ever score or be a threat. And, you know, they, they got that uh, goal off a corner and they just continued to uh, to, to bunker down and, and wait for Miami to break them down, which they didn't. So um, I do think it's a bit of an issue. How do they address it? Uh, I don't know. The, the transfer window, clo- this, well, the primary transfer window, I think it closes in uh, a couple of weeks, primary transfer window. So, uh, yeah, I think they just got to switch it up personnel-wise. Ian, you asked Alex what this team was missing. I think there's a one-word answer. It's a guy like Pozuelo. It's Pozuelo. I, I think that he brought this team together in the final third and was able to make passes in ways to a center forward like Higuain. Their connection was, you know, something that they've not been able to replicate, and I think that that's where a lot of the issue is. A player like Alejandro Pozuelo is what's really missing right now. Was it – then I'll just ask point blank then. Was it a mistake in, in – 
picking Pizarro over Pozuelo, in your opinion, right now, six weeks? Six yeah. Weeks yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, they couldn't really sell Pizarro. No one wanted him. They could have uh, bought him out, which maybe they could have, so, but the, you know, they, well, they six made their games, choice. Right. Six games is is a short period of time, but it's also not one, right? We're coming up on basically a fifth of the season that we, that has already been played. Three home, three on the road. Um, so, so you can begin to understand this, but ju- just to understand how poor the offense is, uh, without cheating, guys, if I if I told you to guess six games into the season who leads Inter-Miami in expected goals for six games in, who would you say? Christoph. You, you would say Christoph Austin. Alex, you would say Franco Negri. Yes. It's Schneider Borgelin. Oh, it's Schneider Borgelin. Six games in, oh. your regular starter is on. Sergey's second, by the way, just point one off. But but Schneider Borgelin is leading the offense right now. Six games in, that's how little goal creation is happening on the field for Inter Miami. And so when I look back on that, I guess yes, there is the glaring Campana absence. We still have not seen Leo Campana play a single minute. That being said. It's scary if the offense is that reliant on Leo Campana, right? You, it needs to come from elsewhere. Yep, I agree. And I, yeah, like, it's just, you can't continue to blame injuries. You know, you have Joseph Martinez, you have uh, Stefanelli, you have guys who are good and, and are able to, to, to create and do these things. But, you know, the fact that Schneider Borgelin, who was injured for like the last three games and he only scored in the first first game, uh, was it the first or second, first game of the season, you know, it's, it's unacceptable. And there's enough, there's enough depth on this team. You know, they made sure of that, especially in the attacking areas to, to, to win games. And now, you know, the performances, I think, especially, I think, you know, the, the, the Chicago loss, especially that was a brutal one to take. And, you know, I, I just, these are not good numbers, and you know Neville said it himself that Miami is a, a club that has high expectations, and right now they're they're falling way short, especially when they're they're linked to players like Messi and Busquets. You know, it, you know you you want them you want them to play better to show that you know once if they those guys come here, you know Miami are able to continue on that that winning trajectory and maybe you know uh, um, you know win some silverware or something. But right now, you know why would any of them want to come to Inter Miami with the way they're playing and the way it's set up, and it's just unfortunate because we know the we know the players are working hard and they have the quality and and they want to win, but right now it's just it's just falling way short of uh, of what they they're expecting. And just just to be clear, that Schneider Borgelin's leading the team in XG. That's not per ninety. That's total over the entire season, and he's only played seventy one total minutes in six games. Austin. That that is not a per ninety stat. That is a total stat. And the yeah, that I mean that's that's nuts. And the fact that Kristoff is second is also nuts. That was kind of just a, oh, I think he scored off a corner, and he also had a nice header the other day. Like he gets up there. But I want to touch on something that Alex said about how it's become unacceptable and to stop blaming injuries. I mean, yeah, it was fine the first two weeks when we didn't know Campana was going to be hurt forty eight hours to to kick off. It was fine even the second game because you won two two nil off of individual quality. And then you go on the road and you don't score goals. Then you come back home and you give up three to Chicago, a wooden spoon candidate. And then you get shut out by FC Cincinnati, barely having three shots in the box. 
With 60% possession, that's that's the crazy part. And that's exactly, exactly. I think that those excuses are, are done, they're tired, and I don't believe any fan or anybody watching this team is making those excuses anymore. Will Leonardo Campana's impact, you know, be, be felt? Absolutely. When he comes back onto the pitch, things have a high potential of changing. But that doesn't give any excuse for the last four weeks. That doesn't give any – you knew that he was not going to play. You game-planned without him for four weeks straight. You had one game at home. You had three on the road. And you even had the one back at home against Montreal, which you scored two, again, individually brilliant goals, but, again, weren't creating those clear-cut chances. Those excuses have to go. This team has to be better, and they cannot just rely on the comeback of their DP striker. You have Joseph Martinez right there. You invested a lot of money in a guy like Stefanelli. You're putting your trust back in Rodolfo Pizarro. Coco Jean is a high salary maker right now as well. You invested a lot of money into him too. The pieces have to come together. At some point they do, whether it's with Leo or with not. And I, it just has to be better. And, and and we will say Coco was not available against Cincinnati. He was out with an injury as well. But uh, as we look at... I guess opportunities in this game, it really is unlucky that the penalty that was not actually wound up helping Cincinnati more than it helped into Miami. That, that penalty happened, I believe in like early in the mid thirties minute, 35th minute around. And it took so long to get it going that actually Cincinnati did not score until the 10th minute of stoppage time as they were going and, and extending that first half. So yeah. that extent, that, that long period, right? That long extended delay of VAR checking whether that was a penalty or not actually wound up giving Cincinnati the time to get that corner and score that goal. That's unlucky. I can understand that. Uh, but, you know, silly mistakes that, that also happened throughout the game. The Pizarro yellow card, I, I don't really know what he was thinking on that. Um, Bryce Duke had a rough game. Uh, I, I've been a defender of him for, for a while now that that leash is is shortening for sure um he hasn't performed up to to task but really unfortunately it's it, for the second game in a row the winner has been scored against DeAndre Yedlin one-on-one or not getting back or not being able to mark a, a man and beating Drake Callender near post that was the winner against uh Chicago that was the winner against Cincinnati both times DeAndre Yedlin uh, man got got free both times beat Drake calendar near post is there any cause for concern there because that worries me a little when those two guys are the ones that are are allowing two losses in a row well I, I want to say this about the corner just really quickly again I, I said it in the beginning I don't know if this was supposed to be a man marked corner or a zonal marked corner like Joseph Martinez even looked extremely lost in the box. There was nobody around him where he was defending. So I don't know really what it comes down to. But, yeah, I, there is cause for concern on the defensive side. And it goes back to what, you know, kind of what Ezra Hendrickson said. Can this team actually defend crosses on, on those sides? When, when the game is stretched out and the ball is wide, whether it's from a corner kick or not, can this team defend? If they're in isolation, it's proving to be not so. Yeah, I think we're going to have to start a dialogue about Yedlin. This is the second time this has happened, and I, I feel, you know, he's getting older, and he always relied on his, uh, on speed uh, throughout his career, but uh, I, I feel like he's kind of cheating a little. You know, I think 
you know, defensively, he's maybe not as locked in as he was last year because he, he thinks, oh, my speed will get me back into position. But right now it's – especially now taking the captain's mantle with uh, Gregory gone, you, you kind of have to play a bit better. And I know he's a new dad and probably not getting much sleep, so that probably does have a lot to play with uh, play into it. So um, we'll forgive him for that. But, yeah, it is a bit concerning. And, and you know, yeah, I think he'll, he'll come back to form eventually. But – you know, uh, you know, Harvey Neville's still on the bench, and you know, from what we've seen defensively, he looks a little bit not as adventurous. So he'll stay back a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think uh, and to the 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 corner uh, kick uh, issue, I think it just comes down to, you know, these things are usually pra- practiced during practice, and the coaches usually have it drawn up. You know, who's gonna, you know, we're either gonna do zone or man mark or a combination of the the two. You know, even in like pickup soccer, there's always you know, someone claiming the front post or, or back post, making sure that, you know, goals don't go in there. But with Miami, it did look very confusing. You know, a, a lot of the – there was no height in the team. You know, the, I think the tallest players there were the two center backs, uh, you know, Kristoff and McVeigh. And you had, uh, I think, Joseph kind of in no man's land marking the, 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 the front post. And, of course, he's not going to win a header over uh, Mosquera. And I think Mosquera is, like, obviously very tall and, and taller than Joseph. So – it was just messy, and I think it's just a, a culmination of, uh, you know, what's going around with Miami, just confusion, no cohesion. Sure, they may have dominated possession, but there's no real uh, conviction in the final third, and it just looks messy, and and maybe freedom in the final third isn't a good thing. Maybe you need to sit down and coach the guys, you know, okay, when we get in the final third, we're going to do this, 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 and this. So, yeah, I, I think it just can't, comes down to, 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 you know, assistant coaches or someone just telling – uh, the players to okay man mark this guy you on the front post don't let anyone near this area near drake and i think it probably would have been fixed a little bit more i know i'm gonna sound like a broken record with this but i, I guess i'm gonna have to ask the question until it either happens or this lineup is fixed and and is playing a lot poor or playing a lot better uh, do you go with three at the back because this is a very short lineup like you had just said alex this is a team that's missing one basically defender in Gregory um, and hasn't been able to find a replacement for him. It has two wingbacks that like to get high and are struggling to track back. Uh, and it could support John Mota, who doesn't want to have to play a, a locked-in six. And understandably so, he's more of a hybrid. That would allow him to go back to his more normal, natural hybrid position, if you will, um, and, and to play with, you know, basically a three, five, two, and just say to Negri and Yedlin, we'll allow you to be wing backs because we're putting in a, a third center back. At what point do you turn to, to that and just say, listen, we naturally would like to play that four, three, one, two, but without Campana or not knowing when he's going to be healthy, if it's this week, or if it's not, we know that Gregory's out for six months at least. Um, at, at this point, when do you start tinkering with that, or when do you start asking those questions of yourself? Yeah, I mean, it has to be now. Um, I, I know you talked about Bryce Duke a little bit, and I honestly, you know, I mean, at least on the ball, it wasn't a terrible performance from Bryce at all. He actually was really eager to get on the ball. He had a, I think he was in the top three and terms of touches in the match in general he was making a ton of passes at a high rate he had a i think over 10 passes into the final third um it just came down to like you talked about with victor uyoa last week 
the duels, the recoveries, the tackles, they weren't there. So, yeah, you do need to turn to something. Um, granted, Cincinnati were not threatening, but I look ahead to this Dallas match where you have guys like Jesus Ferreira, Paul Areola, Alan Velasco, and guys like that who can really punish you on the on the back end where you might need a little bit of extra help. And I think, Ian, I'm going to I'm gonna end up agreeing with you. I don't think I agreed with you the last two weeks when you were calling for it, and I had called for different formations. But throwing on a guy like Ryan Saylor, throwing on a guy like Amey Mabika, just to, to solidify the back line, you know, Negri would then be able to go up with a little bit less of an issue. You wouldn't have to worry about the rotation that we saw Yedlin actually do pretty well in the beginning of the match against Cincinnati. Alex, you pointed that out. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I just don't know if they'll pull the trigger because I, I think, and this is no, this is with no disrespect, coaches in football are stubborn. They have their own ways, and I think that Phil Neville wants to do this a way that that he envisioned, and with the players that he had, the players that him and Henderson brought in, the roster that they tried to build. I don't know if they necessarily had it fit for that. However, I do think without Gregory, it's becoming more and more of a necessity as time goes on. And, and to be to be yeah, clear, but, like you know, I, to be clear, I, I don't want a three at the back. Like I hate three at the backs. I think they're boring no. soccer. I, I just think pragmatically, this is sort of the, the hand that you're dealt right now, Alex. Right. Yeah, but they can play in a three of the three at the back, but still have the same tactical principles. You know, they could still just knock around possession and not do anything in the final third. So I don't think switching the formation will really do anything if they don't uh, really change it up tactically. So they can play a three at the back, That's and fair. the wing backs will get higher. But it'll, they'll just continue to in swing those crosses to a, a five foot nine Joseph or a five right. foot five Nick Miko Stefanelli, and you know the same principles that the, the, in the foundation will will be the same they could switch it to any formation and i think they'll still continue to play the same so yeah i i just don't know what they do really they don't have a cap do they have cap space to add someone i, I just Not, they're, messy like, and all uh, this stuff. so like that that is an interesting yeah, point though that you bring up it's an interesting point that you bring up alex that they, they are dead set on getting those that wide play and it, I know that it's a broken record also of a conversation that we were having last week on on why they are are so, I guess, not willing to play through the middle. I mean, I thought that the two best link-up plays, one was kind of on the side, but it was when uh, Pizarro knocked, knocked it down to Stefanelli. Stefanelli got uh, a bit of a scuff shot off. And then later in the game with, with Joseph, who, you know, Bryce Duke had it over the top. Uh, I think Stefanelli gave it to uh, to Joseph, who, you know, didn't have the strongest left foot on it. But that style of play seems a little more, like, natural to me. It, it seemed to be working a little bit better than these wide plays, low, percent, percent, yeah. low possession percentage crosses that they uh, might might be trying. At what point, tactically – do you do you look at it and say, okay, how do I fit my tactics to my personnel, or do I fit my personnel to my tactics? Because I, I feel like they're kind of compromising with both right now, and so they're having neither. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, like that one point where uh, Bryce Duke was in the middle of the, the pitch and he just knocked the uh, the ball back to Calendar for 
no oh. inexplicable reason. <laughs> you know, yeah, in the like, Chicago match, yeah. Yeah, the Chicago match. And uh, I feel like the players want to play quicker, but I think it's, I don't know. They, the players look like, especially when they're down a goal, they want to play quicker. And that suits them a little bit more. They'll just go quicker and in and, and that regard. But sometimes I feel like, you know, the coaching staff wants them to slow it down and play this possession-based style, which... Man, it's MLS, and you know they rely more on a physicality and 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 athleticism than they do a tactic, ta- you know, technical ability. Of course, having a technical player does help, but I feel like you know the inter Miami players they want to go quick, they want to you know you know do those little one-two interchanges and and try to get shots off as many as they can. But sometimes, like that Bryce Duke pass, sometimes they just slow it down for no reason. I think, yeah, I think it's just a. Like you said, Ian, just, you know, do they fit the tactics to the personnel or vice versa? And I feel like this has just been a broken record with Inter-Miami. I think we've talked about this in 21 and 22, uh, you know, uh, you know, fitting the tactics to fit the players. And now I think this season they came into, uh, you know, we want the players to fit what we're doing. But now I, I do think that they're going to have to switch it back again to fit what the players want to do so they can get some wins. And let me let me just throw out some some crossing numbers because I want to I want to be just like Ian here and give you mm-hmm. give you these stats to surprise you a little bit. Um, accurate crosses against Cincinnati, there was only two from the Inter Miami side in sixty percent possession. By the way, don't forget that, and that was at a twenty percent rate. With Cincinnati's possession at thirty eight percent, they had five accurate crosses at a thirty eight percent rate. So already a huge difference there. I go to the Chicago game where again, Miami 67% possession, only three accurate crosses on, at a 17% rate. Somebody can do the math there, but that means they miss a lot of crosses. Um, and then with Chicago at 33% possession, there were six accurate crosses at a 35% rate. And I'm only going to do one more um, against Toronto with 52% possession. Again, Miami only had three accurate crosses at a 27% rate while Toronto, with 48% possession, had four accurate crosses at a 50% rate. So there is a large looming difference between both sides that Miami play, whether it's they're on the ball for 60% or even 50%, they're crossing the ball a lot more than the opposition, but they're also completing less and at a way lesser percentage. There is something clearly wrong with the idea of crossing the ball the way that they are. That that seventeen percent is three of eighteen, right? So so that that's fifteen wow. missed crosses throughout the course of the game, and and it's interesting to note too in those games that you mentioned, every single one of these four losses, Miami has had a majority possession, and every single one they've they've lost in both games against yeah. Montreal and Philadelphia, they did not have fifty percent possession, and they did not allow a goal. Granted, Drake had two phenomenal games there. Um, and, and, but they came away with, with two wins that, that allows us to sort of shift our focus to this week's game. FC Dallas returns to drive pink stadium inter Miami returns home again, another seven thirty kickoff from drive pink stadium. We'll all be having coverage for you throughout the evening and, and a chance again to like Chicago, come home, feel a little better, maybe get some points. A Dallas team that, that has been a, a bit Jekyll and Hyde more Hyde than Jekyll uh this year they they're across the board two wins two draws two losses uh they're eight goals for seven goals against but outside of a 3-1 win against LA Galaxy in week two they haven't really looked very good uh that that game they they played very well and showed the FC Dallas that they could be outside of that their best game is a 
as a 1.2 expected goals performance um, in a 2-1 win. So they, they haven't really been uh, a lot on the ball. They've been right or the bouncing back and forth between the 40s and 60s in terms of possession. You obviously are always afraid of, uh, of uh, Jesus Ferreira and what he can do uh, being able to score goals. Also, you, Alan Velasco, a great player for them as well. Uh, so so the, the threat is always there with, with Dallas. But Dallas also always has those young teenagers that they're going to, to love to bring in and, and develop like they are so known for. And Kosi Tafari looks like the next iteration of that, a big 17-year-old center back that has been probably their best player so far this season, uh, comes in and will definitely – have a great matchup with Leo Campana if hopefully he can go. That would be a phenomenal one to look out for. So with all that said in mind, Dallas is a bit of an amoeba team. We often know how Dallas, you know, is is branded. They they love their uh, you know, youth iteration, their academy style. Um these kids go and are learned a certain style of FC Dallas football that that they go and take abroad. It's very successful in their program in selling it, but it hasn't been very successful inside of MLS. With all of that big introduction, Alex, where do you start in approaching how to fix the problems that Inter-Miami has had and how they can exploit what FC Dallas is going to bring to the table? Um. Well, FC Dallas are, are dangerous. They do have uh, quality players, Paul Ariola, uh, Alan Velasco, Jesus Ferreira, uh, Pamacol in the midfield. Um, you know, I'm going to skip over Sebastian Legit for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, they have a solid uh, team going on. And, you know, their last game against September was a 1-1 draw. Still very competitive, you know, maybe not too much offensive action. But, you know, Dallas are, are a tough team and, and they'll, they'll be well coached. And they'll, they'll want to come here and, and, and get and, and get a win. You know, their their last four uh, three games, you know, was uh, one, uh, one win against Warrington City. Uh, Warrington City excuse me, one loss against LAFC and then the draw. I think they're going to want to look back and, and try to get the win. So they're going to be going for it. And they're dangerous. That You know, like I said, Paul Ariola, he gets in behind. You know, I already see, you know, Franco Negri or, or Yedlin. I, I believe uh, Ariola plays on the right side. So it'll be Franco Negri, I think. So Negri all the way up. Um, yeah, all the way up on um, uh, trying to overlap. And then uh, Ariola, you know, one long ball in from – uh, um, Paul or, or one of, or, or one of the center backs. And then, yeah, Ariola's in behind and Franco Negri's in the middle of the field, leaving that giant space in behind. And then you have McVeigh on an, on an Island. And, and that's how I, I, I just see that's how one of the weaknesses that they could exploit for Miami. So yeah, it'll be a difficult game, but uh, competitive, lots of good talent with uh, FC Dallas. And I'm intrigued to see them, especially Sebastian Abiaga, excuse me, which they recently acquired from, I believe, LAFC over the, the offseason. And, you know, he's a you know great, great defender. So I think they'll play very well. But and I, I think Miami will, will, will struggle again because, you know, I think the physicality in the midfield is missing from Miami. And, you know, FC Dallas, they have some talent there. So um, let's see how that goes. Yeah, I think another important note, we've been talking so much about how Miami have been controlling possession, whether at home or away from home. Uh, Inter-Miami are fifth in terms of possession uh, retained in MLS, and FC Dallas are sixth, only about two percentage points away. So I think FC Dallas are, you know, they're going to come in here, and whether they're pragmatic or not, I think it's going to just be in their their nature to, to stay on the ball. 
it'll be interesting to see the presses deployed from Phil Neville uh, if Dallas is able to control some possession in the middle third. Um, and with that said, with a little bit less possession, they've done a little bit more with it. They've scored eight goals on the year to Miami's six. So they've been a little bit more efficient, although a middle of the pack team in terms of chances created and converted. So um, there's a lot of interesting notes there. I think the midfield one is going to be important, but it all, in my opinion, it all comes down to will Miami convert a chance in the final third? That's that's really what it is. And and FC Dallas does love that 4-3-3 that they'll always institute. With the three up high, you mentioned Ariola, Velasquez, and Ferreira. Uh, th- that, I mean, I, I'm going to sound again, like, I, I mean, to me, that would negate itself if you go with three at the back. But um, you, you have an issue there in terms of three quality strikers that all could drop below and create sort of a triangle at any moment that will be smothering throughout the, the center of the pitch and attack. Um, do you have to maybe go back to a UOA? Uh, or or find a, a way to to increase that middle of the park that is going to be so crucial. If Miami wins those 50-50 balls in the middle third, that goes a long way against a team like FC Dallas, simply because this is the type of game that Gregory would, would be fantastic for because you want to stop them in a high line, not let them get through to your back line. If you can stop that in that middle third and not be defending into the final third, that allows you just a continual motivation of, of continually pressing and continually keeping that high line that could go very effective against a, a team like Dallas, Alex. A, again, another one of these teams that finished top three in the West last year, Miami already playing top three in the East from 2022. They'll play all three teams that finished top three in the West in 2022 as well. This being the first Western conference test that they'll face this season. Yeah, and I think uh, the high line against um, Ariola, who's super quick, and Velasco, who will tuck in, and Ferrer, you know, he's almost like a number 10 almost. I think I don't think that'll uh, yeah, yeah, work out too well, especially with Neville's insistence of playing two overlapping fullbacks instead of just having, like against Cincinnati, just having one tuck in and making a back, back three of sorts. So, yeah, I, I think like Austin said, it's going to be, you know, Miami traving, having trouble scoring more so than anything. I think defensively, Kripstoff and McVeigh, They've been a great center back pairing, which has been overlooked, but, you know, Miami can't score. So they haven't been able to have as much an, as an impact as you would like defenders to have because Miami isn't scoring and therefore they're losing games. So uh, let's see how that goes. And, um, yeah, I think the high line probably isn't a way to go. Maybe a mid block and, and, and just try to cut those passing lanes off more so than anything and, and then high press. Ian, with those quote-unquote 50-50 battles in the midfield uh, between the two partners next to Jean Mota, just a combined total between the Chicago game and the FC Cincinnati game and ground duels uh, between Ujoa and Bryce Duke, 4-4-15 and absolutely no aerial duels won between both of them either. So uh, that says all I think you need to know. They are missing Gregory a lot, as we've mentioned multiple times. And I don't know if they have the player. I don't actually think they have the player right now to come in and do a job next to John Malta to help disrupt a team like Dallas who might want to, you know, exploit that and, and win those 50-50 balls uh, in, the, in the middle. Guys, let's talk into Miami 2 and the Academy a little before we head out uh, on this week's episode. Into Miami 2, getting their first win of the season uh, at Philadelphia Union 2, a 2-1 victory. Fareed Sarsar coming up with the winner in stoppage time. It was very exciting end to that game. 
uh, after Philadelphia looked to equalize late with the 87th minute. Lucas Meek, the if you remember the 20, uh, 22 draft pick that that uh, actually went was drafted by Inter Miami uh, from the University of Washington and decided to go back to uh, school for one more year. He's now with Inter Miami too. He scores his first goal for the club in a 2-1 win against the Philadelphia team that's expected to be pretty pretty good uh, this week. Alex, uh, just a, a nice – you're starting to get a little bit of an understanding of Fede Higuain's style, what he likes. It does look at times a little similar to what we saw with Darren Powell last year, but it is, I would say, more organized and, and, and more structure, more understanding of roles. Uh, a little less of, of the end-to-end style that we saw with Darren a lot last year. And where, where it didn't look great against Chicago, you started to sort of feel like Inter-Miami 2 is getting a little bit of an identity in their short season. Mind you, this is just their second game of the year. Yeah, and on the Lucas Meek point, I, I will say that he didn't he, – he tore his uh, uh, meniscus, and that's why he, he went back to school. He was basically right, rehabbing right. with – the team and, and and yeah good to see him out there i'm really high on him but yeah they, they played well and uh, honestly there were times where it was kind of helter skelter and you know organized def- i don't know honestly i don't know if it was organized it, it was really helter skelter and there were periods of time where you know philadelphia just had the ball and miami were trying to break but they they couldn't really get it together uh you know they were trying to, to lump it up to the, the center forward there but you know you know, they're still, what, 18, 19, and they're still growing, so they're maybe not the tallest. But, um, yeah, I, I do think it was kind of helter-skelter at times. But um, there are some good moments. Like, I posted that one clip on, on Lucas Meek, and he had a really good a shot inside the box that the, the, the union keeper saved. And Lawson Sunderland did a really good job to get into that penalty area and lay it off. Um, but other than that, you know, it was just a kind of a grinded-out kind of win. You know, Farid Sarsar getting the, 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 the winner at the end. But... Yeah, they, it was helter skelter, but like, yeah, it's you know it's Federico's uh, second game as coach, and obviously that those kinks are going to be uh, ironed off um, eventually. So I'm not I'm not too worried, but yeah, you see the principles there. You know, I, I don't think you know the wingers stayed high and then cut in a lot. You know, Ascono was playing and he looked really good. You know, I have half a mind that you know Miami should play him with. Uh, uh, he should get called up, not called up. He should get minutes with the first team because if they need that creative outlet and and that number pure number ten. You know, have Ascona play it. You know, he's good, and he he's just he just needs the the, the that chance. And I'm not, you know, I I, I wish he he get more minutes with the first team, but um, yeah. And then they they the the Tyler Hall looked great, and and uh, Israel Boltwright, they all look good. And like, you know, we talked about Yedlin earlier. If you know, unfortunately, if Yedlin's form continues to decline, you know, why not call up Israel Boltwright? He looks he looks good. You know, decent, and you know, he's he's physical for his age as well, and. You know, might, might as well give a, a youth player a shot. So, um, yeah, uh, going on Inter Miami CF2, we got their first win of the season, and, and they looked a lot more cohesive than they did during the first game, I, I will say. Eddie Escona is playing some of the best soccer of his career right now. Uh, I mean, he yes. was all over the place. And and he looks like getting in great form for the World Cup um, coming up, uh, wherever it may be. Uh, but but he is playing absolutely yeah. phenomenal right now. Um, at Lawson Sunderland, like you had mentioned, also had a great, great game. Um, he continues every single time I watch Lawson. I don't know what it is about him, but he always he like he impresses me like each time. I don't know if I like need to have a higher thinking of him heading in. But each time I go, wow, he's like, that's a it's a good player out there. 
Um, and, and so he he yeah. continues to improve as well. Um, Lucas Meek looks healthy, which is good as well. Um, and, and getting that goal, hopefully the start of a, of a very young and, and quality career. Inter Miami's done very good through the draft. It, it, it bears bears fruit, which often times in MLS uh, it hasn't. So we'll we'll keep an eye on them. They do travel to Orlando this uh, this weekend, where they'll play at Orlando City B. Um, what, what was that, Alex? The Derby. <laughs> yes, the Derby, the first one of the year between Inter Miami and Orlando City B. That coming up. This weekend, where the second team uh, got a win, it was a little bit of struggle this year at the Generation Adidas Cup for Inter Miami. Both the U15s and the U17s crashing out in the group stage. Uh, both went 0-3 uh, in in their time, coming up against some tough tough competition. Uh, the 17-year-olds losing to Red Bulls uh, 3-2 in a game that they could have had, one that they probably should have had against Club America, one nil loss. Uh, and then LAFC, which has one of the best U17 teams, uh, probably one of the, I would say, probably one of the favorites. Uh, although New York Red Bulls won won the group, it should be said. Um, so uh, the U17s will will play a couple consolation matches before they head home. The U15s as well. Uh, they were unable to get past Villarreal. Um, also uh, against Sporting Kansas City. And the first game is going to come to my head. I think it was Philadelphia Union. Uh, that they were not able to get it done on Saturday. So unfortunate this year. They played much better last year. <laughs> Obviously, we remember that run uh, that, that the U-17s had. Uh, and U-15s played very well as well. Um, this is normally a competition that Inter-Miami performs better in. Um, and, and there will be other tournaments that that they're able to, to do. I, I think it's still a good team. Um, there wasn't a lot that I saw in, 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 in hearing from people who were who were in Texas for the tournament, uh, that there wasn't a lot of disappointment in the play, disappointment in the results, perhaps. Um, but the play was there, uh, a, a couple of, a lot of one goal losses, which at the youth level oftentimes tells you that, that they're more evenly matched than, than you would anticipate. They didn't really get blown out, albeit for one game, and uh, I think it was uh, for, for the U15s. Um, and so ultimately a disappointing result, uh, but, a, but a very good trip. They'll return here. They'll, they'll get some games in going here. Uh, a lot of the academies that played uh, in the GA Cup also play IMG. Um, you know, Orlando has their own. So there, there's a lot of, uh, of academy play that will continue to happen. But just wanted to give people the update there. They'll still have a game in the Constellation, uh, in the Showcase. But in terms of the playoffs and the tournament, which gets underway, I believe, today, this afternoon, as we record on Tuesday, uh, they, they will not be in the round of 16. Guys, it is a difficult so uh, difficult patch here for Inter-Miami, especially for the senior team. They'll have to figure out a way to right the wrongs and get some points as they slide all the way down. They were, at one point, uh, four weeks ago, atop the Eastern Conference standings in this short season. At one point, even, were the uh, momentarily the Supporters' Shield uh, uh, holders, well, not holding, but they had the position at one point. Now they find themselves in 10th outside of the Eastern Conference playoffs with still a long season to go. It'll be 7.30 kickoff from Dry Pink Stadium against FC, Cincinnati, FC Dallas, excuse me, FC Cincinnati last week, FC Dallas this week, uh, as Inter-Miami will look to get another win. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, Subscribe on YouTube and our uh, Substack, the Heron Outlet, 
www.substack.com. You can find us on Twitch. Austin doing a great job with Andres on our Twitch stream. Uh, I believe I, I got everything, right? Austin, am I missing anything? What am I missing? Uh-oh. What did I miss? Where can they listen to the podcast? Ah, you can catch us, as always, if you're not watching on YouTube, if you want to listen. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And we and subscribe there. Leave a rate, review, five stars. Yeah, let's try it. All right, guys. For Alex Whitley, for Austin Robillard, and for our producer, Andres, I am Ian Hess. This is the Heron Outlet. See you back here this time next week.